Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. You know, recently my wife Peggy and I, and she was sitting here on the front row just a few minutes ago. Uh, by the way, I just have to stop. Sorry, back up. Uh, here, we'll rewind. Okay. Um, Alyssa, I just want to tell you, I know you guys are talking, sorry. I just want to tell you what a great word that was. And I'm really glad that you stepped out and shared that because I feel like that was really the heart of God, really the heartbeat of the Lord. And so thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Wasn't that a great word? Amen. And, and Deline as well. Where's, where's Deline? Deline, wherever you are, thank you for being obedient to the Spirit. Um, so anyway, back to my wife and I. Uh, recently, Peggy and I led a Thursday night group here, a discipleship group that we do, and it was on parenting. And throughout the course of the group, it became more and more evident how many young parents that were in the group and in our church and in our culture, how many young parents yearn for mentors and spiritual parents. One night in an open discussion that we had, a young mom who has no family near, her family's in the Midwest, and she was at a table and she was speaking to the group, she spoke very passionately about how much it would mean to her to have some mentors who had already raised their children that would be able to give input into their lives. In fact, what she went on to say is, you know, we don't have grandparents nearby. Even if we had some people who could step in and be stand-in grandparents, that would be really powerful. And as she spoke, everybody in the group, everybody that was there was like, yeah, yeah. And you could tell it just resonated with every heart and every mind. And I found myself thinking as that was happening that the cry of an entire generation was going up. And really, I was not just hearing something that was unique to that small group. I was hearing something that was a cry of a generation. We need spiritual moms and dads. We need people that will step up and be the family of God to us. And so my message today is actually we need dads and moms in God's house. And really what I want to get into is the concept and the idea that we are a family, And then in families, you have people in different roles and different stages, and God is calling us as a church family to step up and step into what He created us for. Amen? Now, the first point I want to start with is, how does that family become a family? You know, God created a new household through faith in Jesus Christ. He created a new kind of entity. We call it the church. The Bible calls it the church, the family of God, the temple of God, the body of Christ. There are many metaphors that are used, but one of the most powerful metaphors is the idea of family, the household of God. And that's what I want to start with today. God's called us to be a family. He's called us to be a household. Look at Galatians 6.10 with me. Paul writing the church in Galatia says this, So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone. I want to stop there real quick before I get into the rest of the text. Did you notice that he used the word everyone? Uh, Is anybody alive out there? Did you notice that he used the word everyone? 
Let's read it again. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That includes those who don't agree with your political affiliation. That includes those who are involved in things you don't agree with. That includes those who don't look like you, act like you, walk like you, talk like you, those that aren't part of your race or your group or whatever it is. You know, Because what I've learned over the years is that all of us seem to have got some issue with some kind of people. Am I talking to anybody? But the scripture here very clearly says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. There are no exceptions. And then it goes on to say this, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. This new household that we're a part of is called the household of faith because all of us have trusted in Jesus alone to reconcile us to our Father, God. And because of the cross and because of the empty tomb, we have been reconciled to our Father through Jesus Christ and our trust in Him makes us part of a family. Okay. Ephesians 2, look at what this says. Verse 13 and verses 18 and 19. But now, can you say, but now? But now now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 18, for through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who are the both? When Paul was writing this, he was addressing the ongoing issue that was happening among many of those who were putting faith in Christ, and that issue was a separation or a division that existed between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. A Gentile believer is anybody that's not Jewish. And what Paul was saying is, the days of separation are over, the days where race, socioeconomic class, um, you, you name it, whatever division you could political affiliation, the days of separation are over. I have removed those things. I've brought you near by the blood of Christ. That's the only reason we can come near to God. We don't come near to God based upon anything we can do. It's not because you merited out of your own goodness or righteousness. It's not because you, know, you were a shining star. As one person said, a sparkle tooth. You know, a sparkle tooth is a person that goes, you know, on the cartoons or whatever, they go, and it goes, ding. That's not because you were a sparkle tooth that had it all together. We come together before Christ because of his blood alone. So look at what it goes on to say. For through him, we both, Jews, Gentiles, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, Asian, name it. We all, men, women, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the second time in these two texts we've recognized God is called Father. So then, look at this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of a family, you're part of a household. That's a good place for an amen. And we see in the text, we've been brought near by his blood, his blood alone. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what gives us access to God. 
And through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. The Holy Spirit fills us. We're regenerated. When you put faith in Christ, this miraculous thing happens and you're regenerated. The Spirit comes to live inside of you. And that Spirit now gives you access to God as your Father. And then now we're members of His household. But how many of you know every house has some rules, right? Every house has ways that you behave and ways that you're called to live. You know, you can't in any community, whether it's a, your home or whether it's a church home, you can't really walk in harmony unless everybody understands their place and their role and their purpose. Can I get an amen? amen. And uh, we've been shown how to live. And I want you to notice this text also in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writing to Timothy, he's writing a letter to him. Just to give you a background, Timothy is the apostolic, he's an apostle pastor over the church in Ephesus, and while he's there in Ephesus, Paul is writing to him because he's a young pastor, and he's a little timid at times, and he lacks confidence, and so Paul is writing to him, and he's saying, you know, Timothy, you're my spiritual son. Here are some things to help you out in your journey, and he's writing to him instruction on how to shepherd the people of God, how to teach the people of God, and he says this, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this is how you behave in the household of God, which takes me to how do you behave? I want to lay out some roles for you today. I want to show you a picture of harmonious relationships in the family of God. But before I do, I want to share a funny story. And I've shared this here before, but I always get a laugh, so I might as well keep sharing it until people quit laughing, right? One summer evening during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small boy into bed. She was about to turn off the light when he asked with a tremor in his voice because of the storms, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. I can't, dear, she said. I have to sleep with your daddy. A long silence was broken at last by the boy's little shaky voice, the big sissy. So how do we behave in the household of God? How do we live and behave in the household of God? I want you to notice, this is really my key text today, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Notice this with me from the New Living Translation. He says here, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Isn't this beautiful? Very clear, very practical. This is how the church is to function as a family. Now, I want to stop and just talk about that for a minute. We live in a consumer-oriented age. Some of you that are here today, maybe you're a guest and you're checking us out. You're church shopping. And that's okay. That's what we do today. That's the age we live. We're church shoppers. Just like we go shopping for you know, restaurants, we look up stuff and we check out what the Yelp or the Google reviews are, what the numbers are, 4.7 out of 5. Okay, that's good, right? That's what we do. And that's what we do when it comes to churches. We live in a consumer age. And what do I mean by consumer age? Well, all of us have been taught from the time that we were 
born that everything is about us. Come on, let's be honest. It's all about you, your comfort, and me. I'm talking about me too, okay? So I'm not like up here above you. I kind of am, but not above you. You know what I mean? Talking to you, right? And we've been taught since the time we were really young that, you know, it's about service to us. It's about being served. It's about how good the food is, how comfortable the hotel is. I love comfortable hotels. I I just want to tell you, I'm probably one of the worst. I am a true American consumer. I probably have a certificate somewhere that says that. Okay? And so what happens is we approach our spiritual life the same way. And what we do is when we begin to get hungry to know more or a friend invites us or we come to faith in Christ, we know instinctively that I need to be a part of a family. I need to be a part of a community. So we go church shopping. And some of this isn't bad. I mean, we need to ask ourselves hard questions. We need to be sure we're someplace that's, that's healthy and comfortable. But what we do is we, we go to churches and we shop them. And we, we look at everything. Well, we look at the nursery. How are the kids in there? What are the facilities like? We come in the front door, we come into the parking lot, we get the vibe, we come in the front door, we see how friendly people are, we, we notice if anyone greets us, if they're nice to us, how weird it might feel. In our church, a lot of times between services, it's crazy out there in the foyer and in the cafe and people are coming and going and some people like that, they're like energy, all the extroverts are like, I like this place and the introverts are like, oh my God, get me out of here <laughs> and they come in and there's people talking and all kinds of activity going on, right, and, and then you come in and you check out the, the children's facilities, the nursery. You check out the, the, you know, back here in the back right now. You might not know this, but behind these walls, that's where the real power is happening. There are all kinds of children and teachers and volunteers working with the kids. And there's a bunch of kids back there, right? And they're doing the hard stuff. They're doing the great stuff. They're doing the stuff that's going to affect generations. That's really powerful. I'm putting a plug in for them. Can you tell? Amen. By the way, we need more men to teach our children on this Mother's Day. Amen. So, so that's a side note. That's free. No charge for that, okay? Okay, we'll, we'll move on. And then we come in and we listen to the music and we try to, is it too loud? Is it too soft? And, and then we wait for the guy to get up and talk. And then he gets up to talk. And we do, we all know what we do. And I talk about this all the time, but we start sizing up the speaker, right? Do I like him? Do I like the way he looks? Do I like the way he talks? Do I like the way he relates? And, and, and then we, we, we kind of shop around some churches and we decide which one fits our preferences. That's the bottom line. Fits our preferences. And then we land there, right? And so what happens many times is we don't realize the church is really a family. And that there is this connection that all of us have, this mystical union that's in the person of Christ that goes beyond anything we can even begin to imagine. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shake some of you up. This mystical union is even deeper than your blood family, for it is eternal. So listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of His, I want you to just look around for a minute at some of the other followers of Jesus in this room. And I want you to face the fact that you're going to spend eternity with those people. Now think about the one or the few that you don't like very much. And then just think about the fact that you're having a hard time spending, you know, half an hour near them. You're going to spend eternity with them. All right? That's the family of God. And that's what we are. And the real thing we need to recognize is that 
It's not just about us and our preferences. It's about the fact that we're joined to Christ and to one another forever. So we need to make sure that we learn how to live together. Amen? Okay, the other thing is, is as a family, we're to treat one another with honor. To honor something is to highly esteem it and value it, right? And, and we want to build a culture of honor here at Grace Harvest Church. I don't mean a weird culture of honor where you're just honoring, you know, people in positions or roles. I'm talking about the culture of honor where everybody recognizes that that person sitting around you, again, regardless of their background, their race, their socioeconomic class, things that are similar to you or dissimilar to you, that those people around you are valuable and they're worthy of respect and they're worth getting to know and they have their own story and their own journey and there's a beauty of God's mark on their life. They're the image bearer of God. There's something about them that you need. Amen. So we, we, we'll treat one another with honor. And as families have appropriate boundaries, so the church is to maintain appropriate boundaries. So then Paul tells us what those boundaries are. The first thing he says is to treat older men as fathers. Did you know in the book of Leviticus in the 19th chapter, it says this in the Old Testament. It says that when a gray-haired man comes into your presence, what you're supposed to do, and this is with the Jews in the Old Testament law, when a gray-haired man came into your presence, you were to rise in his presence. Why? Because they understood something. You aren't going anywhere without that generation that went before you. You don't even exist without them. And so there would be this sense of honoring the aged. But you know what we do in our culture? We mock the aged. We make fun of the aged. We have commercials on TV that make old people out to be stupid and lame. And those are the kinds of terms that are used to speak of older people. And it's heartbreaking to God. And it's a good way to curse your own life, right? Because people are to be valued. And those who've walked on planet Earth longer than us have learned some things we don't know. Now, I just want to say this. This is a side note. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're necessarily wiser. I've met some older people that ain't so wise, I want to say, come on, it's time to learn, right? I don't because then I'd be disrespecting, right, dishonoring. So just because you're older doesn't make you wiser. Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's knowledge taken and worked toward change in your life. So if you're not always changing to become like Christ, you're not growing wiser, right? So just because you're older doesn't mean you're necessarily wiser, but that's not up to me to determine that. My call is to honor, right? Am I talking to anybody? All right. We treat the older men as fathers. We treat the younger men as brothers. You know, both men and women should treat the younger men as brothers. Four times in the New Testament, we are called Jesus' brothers. Did you know that? Even the ladies. 98 times the word brother is used and 223 times the word brothers. In some cases, that word could be translated brothers and sisters. In other places, it just applies to the male gender. But the reality is, is we're to treat the younger men as brothers. I want you to think about that for a minute. I, I had a friend I did a funeral for a few months ago. Many of you will know who he is, Gabe Adami. 
And Gabe passed away, and he was a part of a motorcycle club. And he was a part of a motorcycle club that, you know, I'm like, huh, I don't know about that. But Gabe and I developed a friendship. And I would meet with Gabe regularly. We'd have lunch. We'd have coffee. We'd hang out. And I'd ask him lots of questions about what he was doing, what he was a part of, what was going on with his club. And as we got to know each other, there was a great deal of love and honor and mutual respect. And I learned something. And and the main thing that I learned with him being a part of that club was the most powerful element of the club was the brotherhood. Was the fact that I'm with people that will die for me. I'm with people that will call me on my stuff. I'm with people that will encourage me and lift me when I'm down. I'm with people that I see like family. And every time he would talk about the brotherhood that existed in his club, I would find myself going away and asking myself the question, do we have that in our church? And many times I would have to admit, no, we don't. But I sure want to get there. With some we do. There are some people, that's the way they walk with each other. But I found myself saying, God, build the brotherhood in our church. You know, men go into military service. How many veterans we got in this room? Men and women. Sorry. Okay, so we got veterans in this room. Many times veterans come home, after they come home and they come back into civilian life, the main thing they struggle with, not all of you, but some, the main thing they struggle with as they enter back into civilian life is that lack of connectedness when you were so close to your bro next to you on each side. You walk together, you live together, right? You, you go through hardship together, you go through difficulty together. That produces a deep connectedness. Well, we're called to that in the house of God. We're called to that in the family of God. Am I talking to anyone? And then we're to treat the older women as mothers. Older in both with men and women means out of child raising years. The older women should be treated with respect. We honor our women. Motherhood is powerful. You know, Eve, her name means the mother of the living or life giver. And that's a reality that women bring to the table no matter where they are. In a church setting, in a family setting, women bring life-giving. They bring something unique. They bring a viewpoint. They they bring a a life that men don't have. I mean, I I was joking in the first service. I'll say it here as well. Can you imagine if the church was just made up of men? Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. I, I mean, you talk about boring Half the time, nothing would get done because the most faithful people in every church I've ever seen are the women. Come on. It's true. Women are life givers. Wherever they are, they bring life. They bring a perspective. They bring a view. And the older women in the church are to be treated as mothers, to be loved as mothers, to be valued as mothers, to be honored as mothers. And we're to treat the younger women as sisters. And I want you to notice what it says. Younger women should be treated as sisters. And then Paul inserts this phrase, in all purity. What is he saying? Paul is saying that young women should be respected as you would respect your sister and not seen or treated as a sexual object. See, the church should be the safest place for young women. Young women should come to church and not feel like dudes are just like, come on. I know some guys, 
go to church just to mac on a babe. Just to check out the ladies. Right? They come in, they play spiritual, and then they're just the whole service. You know, worship's going on, and it's like this. A little bit of drool coming down the mouth. I know I'm overemphasizing, but here's the reality. Now listen, I just I, I got to back up. I met my wife in church. And I was visiting another church. Okay, I just want to say that. I was visiting another church, and I met my wife, and here was this godly young woman, and yes, I was attracted to her, and I noticed that. I'm not dead. I'm still not dead. Women are amazing beings. They're amazing creatures created by God and formed by God for that, that attraction. So I get it. But that's not why you're here. You're here to meet Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in Jesus Christ. Yes, I think it's good that the church can be a place where people meet, where there can be couples that come out of that relationship, where brothers and sisters can become husband and wife. That's good. That's beautiful. I'm good with that. But I just want to say, if you're here with a motive to go looking for the babes, and you're in the middle of the worship service, and you're distracted all the time because you're lusting after young women and seeing them as sexual objects, that is sinful. That is wrong. That's not why you're here. And I'm going to tell you something. We're, the brothers in this house are going to watch the backs of the sisters, and we're going to make sure that they're protected and covered. Amen? It says, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. In all purity. So we recognize that women need to be respected and honored as women. Amen. That doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize women aren't beautiful. And amazing and mysterious and weird. We recognize that. We get it. Different, right? Ladies, I'm just joking. Okay, I just saw some swords coming toward me. And we need spiritual moms. And I'm going to go to that. We need spiritual moms in the house of God. I want you to notice this beautiful text in John 19, 25 through 27. And give you a little backstory. Jesus is dying on the cross. He's dying on the cross for the sins of the world, and while he's dying on the cross, he's taking care of his mom, and he's taking care of his brother, his spiritual son, and he's making sure that the relationships that exist there are kept up and intact. And I want you to notice what happens. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, this is really interesting because Mary had other children. And yet, as Jesus is dying on the cross, he's looking at John, his disciple, who's not Mary's biological child, and he's saying to his mom, he's saying, this is your son and this is your mother, and I want you to make sure you're cared for. And think about it. He's dying on the cross and he's taking care of family business. He's still in control. He's still Lord of all. But the thing that's powerful to me is the honor and the respect that he shows toward his own mom to be sure that she's cared for and toward his own spiritual son to be sure that he gets what he needs. And I think about that relationship. 
How many years did Mary live with John? How many years did John sit down with Mary and say, okay, tell me again about when Jesus did, did that thing you, you were talking about? And how many of those things made their way into the gospel of John and into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? Because he took care of his mama, and his mama became a spiritual mama to John. Amen? We need spiritual dads as well. We need dads. I love this uh, Craigslist ad for generic dad. Generic dad needed. It said, a recent Craigslist ad gained internet fame after a group of friends in their 20s posted a request for a generic dad to barbecue burgers and hot dogs in an outdoor party. The ad listed several dad-like activities as desirable, including grilling hamburgers and hot dogs, referring to all those guys who would attend as, hey, big guy, chief, sport, (laughs) champ, and talking about dad things like lawnmowers, building your own deck, Jimmy Buffett, etc. Additional requirements included a minimum of 18 years' experience as a father, 10 years' experience grilling, and a preferred name of Bill, Randy, or Dave. That's hilarious. After the ad went viral, the group of organizers said that their new hope was that Bill Murray would respond to the ad. Dads are needed. I mean, I think that's hilarious, but it captures the hunger and the cry of a generation for for dads. We need dads. For spiritual dads in the house of God. I mean, this is the place for it. In 2 Timothy 1 and in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And he communicates to Timothy as though Timothy is his son. A spiritual son. Look what he says to him in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, 2 Timothy. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. No biological connection. Philippians 2, 20 through 23, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. He's telling the church this. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. So Paul related to Timothy as a spiritual son. Paul loved Timothy like a true father would love him. And Paul commended and affirmed Timothy as a person who represented Jesus and Paul well. And why this is interesting is when you look at the story of Timothy, one thing that's interesting is Paul commends Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother, but you never hear much about his father. Not a whole lot about his father, but but Paul talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother, and yet not his father. So it looks as though, and then we know about Timothy. Timothy had a lot of insecurities. He was really unsure about what he was doing. And Paul slips into this place in his life and reveals the father heart of God to him. And it helps Timothy become everything that God called him to be. So what does a spiritual dad or mom look like? Here are some attributes for spiritual parenting. And and I want to say something, right here in this room, some of you in this room that are beyond child raising years, it's time for you to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to step up on behalf of some of these young parents in here, some of these younger people in here. 
I'm willing, Lord, just here I am, send me, build a relationship, make a connection, do something so that that door opens, but Lord, here I am, I'm ready. Because listen, your retirement isn't about you. Can I just challenge you? Can I challenge you not to buy into the American dream? It's a lie. It's the American nightmare. You can't consume your life on yourself. You have freedom in your life now. You have more freedom in your life now because God wants to use you to be a blessing to others. You were created for the sake of serving others and God. You weren't made for yourself. You're not to go out and spend your children's inheritance. Go sow into somebody else's life. right? Make yourself available to help a generation that's coming up without parents. Stand in the gap. Be there for them. Am I talking to anybody? Don't raise your hand. No, just kidding. So here's what a spiritual dad or mom really does. Number one, they offer themselves in relationship. They're available. They offer, here I, here I am. You know, it's not, listen, being a spiritual parent in someone's life, giving input to someone's life doesn't mean that, you know, you step in there and you tell them how it is or that you're an expert or that somehow, you know, you got it all together and they need to expect that you have it all together. In fact, sharing your failures might be one of the most valuable things you could ever do. Make yourself available relationally. Secondly, offer a listening ear. Good parents listen well. Amen? Third, offer wise and kind counsel when you've gained permission. With permission. You know, being a spiritual parent doesn't mean that you jump right into the middle of people's stuff when you haven't been invited and tell them how to do it. It means with permission you speak into people's lives. Right? And that includes providing gentle correction when necessary. Sometimes people need... I, I remember one of my spiritual mentors was a man named David Miner. And I remember Dave, you know, he used to joke that his role in my life and other younger men's life was to have his arm around me saying, you can do it, son, and have his foot kicking me in the butt at the same time. And that's often how my relationship with him was. My relationship was a relationship where he would encourage me, affirm me, speak life into me, tell me he believed in the call, the gifting, who I was as a person, and at the same time kind of kick me in the butt when I was, you know, when my, my thinking was stinking, when I was going off, when I wasn't going to, he'd be like, come on, Doug, come on, that's not, you know, that's not what you're, you're supposed to do, man, come on, you can do better than that in that area, come on, Right? The other thing they do is they offer encouragement and belief in their spiritual sons and daughters. Encouragement. There's nothing like having a person that's the generation in front of you, an older person, speak affirmation and encouragement to you. Because most of the time, you know they're not just saying it. They probably wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. That's so encouraging. They offer an invitation into their family life when appropriate. They say, come hang out. We want you in our life. They direct their spiritual sons and daughters to God's father heart. The job is never to create a dependence. It's always to point them to the father heart of God. Your real father is God. Through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, he's the one you really want to get to know. You never want to be dependent on me, but you want to be completely dependent on him. They direct their spiritual sons and daughters to God's word, to the Bible, They show them the beauty of Scripture, the power of Scripture, and that within Scripture is the picture of all that God is and all that His Son Jesus is, right? We we see the revelation of God in Christ Jesus in the Scripture, so we point them to Scripture. We direct our spiritual sons and daughters to seek God in prayer. We show them, hey, God has a relationship with you. You're a son or daughter. He's a father. You can know Him in in a 
intimate prayer life. And lastly, they direct their spiritual sons and daughters to come home to God's family by trusting in Jesus Christ. Come home. Quit being a prodigal. Quit running on your own. It's not working. you got to recognize it. That you're, you're hitting nothing but closed doors and nothing but walls. It's time. Come home. Quit running from God. He's been chasing you. He loves you. He's after you. It's time to turn away from your sin and to turn to the cross. That's called repentance. It's time to repent from the stuff that you've done that has caused shame in your life and turn to Him and let God father you through people. Amen? And with that said, why don't you stand with me?